As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. The war was pain and then desire for revenge. And I think they had that today in their bellies, for sure. Erdogan from way out. Oh, doesn't stop him. Martin Erdogan sent it through Newcastle to Nick Coach. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We're recording this the morning after yesterday's truly excellent. 2-0 win over Newcastle United at St James's Park. Uh, we'll talk about that as well as pathways for the youth moving forward. Uh, joined this morning by Amy Lawrence and Art De Roche. Morning. Hi, Ian. <laughs> Good morning. Hi. Uh, as you can tell I'm, I'm. You know, you know, I'm optimistic anyway. But I am in a very good mood today. I must say, I don't. It, there's actually nothing that could happen to me today. People will cut me up in the car. I'll just sort of wave at them. Yeah, yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> I'm fine because we beat Newcastle two 0 yesterday in a slightly unexpected way. And, and, and Amy, I know you know this. I love the shit house way that we did it as well. I absolutely love that. We did to them what they did to us. And Eddie Howe moaning about our game management, was it gamesmanship uh, and time wasting? It's just nectar for my ears. So I was wondering if you needed an Arsenal player from the past to come in and do a bit shithousery, who would you have? Uh, Art, who would you have to come in if we needed a bit of um, behaviour that was uh, just going (laughs) to get under the skin of the opposition? I guess uh, for me, there's only one person that kind of sticks out, and it's Martin Keown. Um, yeah. And I feel like if, if you're uh, looking at that performance yesterday, obviously it's very different kind of makeup of a squad. But um, I was just, yeah, really impressed with how they coped with St. James's Park. Um, and they actually relished it, I felt. Um, I remember going off on a slight tangent there was this clip of Robert Pires in a North London derby where he's getting loads of abuse and he kind of dummies a throw of the ball back at the Tottenham fans and um, I like that we're kind of seeing something similar not the same but uh, something similar so um, yeah maybe that's two answers in one no, it's all right. I just like talking about this. I'm, I'm happy to talk about this for as long as possible. Um, I would also, I would question Martin Keown. Martin Keown almost seems too honest in how in our <laughs> rough and tough he was. You know, he would just leave you on the floor and stand over you and go, you want some more of that? I'll be back for another bit of that in a minute. Sort of thing. As opposed to what we're talking about, which is, um, you know, more sly cheating, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, what have you got for us? Yeah, I've got a couple as well to throw into the mix that are very different. And I, I think that uh, one of the absolute kings of this art form when he was playing was Ian Wright. He was, uh, yes, I was going to say him. He, I think if you ask his opponents, they will say that whatever a nightmare he was in terms of a player to play against, that what came out of his mouth made it, you know, equally... Um, 
destabilizing or concerning. <laughs> His back chat, I think, was legendary. Doesn't matter the opponent, he would spend the whole time saying something like, I remember him telling me about playing, I think it was Man United once, and they had a centre back, and he spent the whole time saying, um, you, you know, your manager, you, your manager just told us to go on your left side because you're so shit on that side. You know, I'm going to get you. Like, just being really specific, picking on weaknesses and non-stop chat. Uh, and also, you know, was very, knew all about the little, little dark arts of pinching someone or standing on someone's toes, you know, uh, at a corner or these kind of things that would wind people up. So, yeah, a, a class wind-up merchant, righty, as well as being a phenomenal player. Yeah. But also a, a, a guy with a very different temperament who was a terrific shithouse. Um, like you say, in that sly sort of way was Steve Bold. Hard as nails. <laughs> Not many harder than Steve Bold, to be honest. And uh, I remember even at times talking to him, being quite afraid, just in a kind of, you know, totally uh, non-football environment. But he's got a way about him. Yeah. And uh, I think he was very smart at leaving bits and pieces and just just looking completely nonplussed about it. He would just be poker face. So it would be a real wind-up for the opponent. Lovely. We could take either of those in the, today's team and they could just give them a few little extra messages quite easily. I was going to have righty as well. Uh, Tony Adams also had a bit of that about him, I thought, to be honest with you. I think Tony Adams, yeah, you're not sure, Amy? You're sort of, I think he's I, a bit more like Martin Keown uh, in I mean, that I sense know what of you mean. not doing it quite so slyly and maybe doing it a bit more... <laughs> Uh, I like I don't know I like the fact I mean there was a we we talked about the other day uh, Shearer and Wrighty went round uh, Highbury and the Emirates uh, talking about the games and Shearer was talking about the number of injuries he got there broken nose I think stitches and he and uh, he mentioned you know when Tony Adams would uh, foul him and leave him on the floor and then be leaning going, hey, how's the wife and kids? Everything all right, Al? All that stuff. I quite like that level of wind-up. But Wrighty, yeah, Wrighty was the man for me. I'm going to get two today. You lot are nowhere near as good as the defenders I play against in training. All that sort of stuff would drive you mad. Um, we're partly talking about that. I still, in my head, got Jorginho diving through the air to win a free kick. <laughs> In the first half, when he got a shove, I don't actually think he got one for that. Um, but he was absolutely great yesterday, and we'll definitely talk about him because uh, after being labelled bottlers last week by people who really should know better, Arsenal came roaring back with a couple of top results this week. Uh, on Tuesday, we stuffed Chelsea, and yesterday we went to St James's Park, gave what I think is one of our best performances of the season as we beat Newcastle two nil. Only the second home loss they've had all season. They've only lost twice in 26 games there. Really a splendid performance. Um, Let's start. There's a few players I want to talk about. Amy, let's start with Jorginho. Um, There were quite a few Arsenal fans who were not a bit happy about him coming in January. Uh, He ran the game yesterday. Certainly him and Martin Odegaard. Right now, he's first choice, isn't he? Well, that in itself is quite fascinating. Um, I think when he came in, the general opinion was, here's someone who can cover for Thomas Partey rather than here's someone who can essentially replace him and be chosen ahead of him. I'm not sure how many people thought that it would be a competition between them to play rather than a kind of an either-or situation um, with Partey clear favourite and man in possession of the shirt. Um, but yeah, he, what's what's really impressed me about Jorginho um, is that there has been a fair amount of time since he arrived that he has not been playing, um, which is sort of not that dissimilar to the situation he found himself in at Chelsea towards the end when he was not not playing much. There's a lot of players not playing at Chelsea, though, to be fair. <laughs> but <laughs> but I think that, you know, there was an, you'd think that there would be an assumption for a player of his calibre and personality that they're going somewhere to play, not sort of swapping being a, a kind of reserve bit part for some something similar elsewhere. Yeah. And that would undermine, I think, his own sense of his worth and what he can contribute. But I think the way that he's behaved uh, on and off the pitch and around the place has been so well received within the camp. And you only need to watch any of the matches that he has been a sub where he's been, whenever he's warming up, he spends his time on the touchline coaching, absolutely captivated and engrossed by the game. And as involved as you can be without being on the pitch. He is 
actively trying to affect and help the game from the sidelines when he's not playing by instructing and encouraging and being involved. He's got a reputation as being like super popular and nice um, within the camp. And it's another one of those that has added to the character of the kind of team dynamic by coming in. And yes, we've had this debate a million times, certainly at points with Granite Xhaka when he was, let's say, making more reckless errors than maybe is the case now. And and there'd be more question marks about him where where people would get sometimes a little bit uh, frustrated by this sense, but he's great. You know, his managers love him because he's great, a great character in the dressing room, you know. Um, same was sort of said of David Luiz at times. You know, he was obviously yeah. a player that was mixed let's just say in terms of his contribution on the pitch but everybody within the camp said that what he gave to the dressing room was really important and Arsenal are getting that from Jorginho but he's also proved that he can be a very specific very particular player tactically Uh, and what he brought to the game yesterday was immense and opens up some questions in the broader view of the season because when you see him Kivior and uh, Kieran Tierney and each of them brought some excellence, I think, to the team performance. There is that question mark that I think everybody will be wondering about for a while, maybe, certainly at the moment, which is I'm so fascinated by what Mikel Arteta really thinks, the, 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 the kind of the fine line between trusting your players who have got you somewhere and being ruthless enough to maybe make a change, that kind of, that almost sort of complex kind of internal fight between loyalty and maybe strength and practicality in a manager, which I guess is a really hard thing to find and it's part of your learning. But it is, it's definitely been interesting, let's just say, when you looked at the, the effect that those three players in particular had coming into the game yesterday and whether they might have been utilised at a time before when the players that they've stepped in for were clearly struggling a little bit for one reason or another or not at their best. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm very happy to have that chat in a while. Let, I just want to ask Art Sorry, about... that was a long answer. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I think that was about average, Amy. I think that was about <laughs> average. And it covered a number of points that I was going to make at some point. But Art, Jorginho... I mean, he is great around the dressing room. He's great on the pitch as well in terms of he never stopped talking as far as I could see yesterday. No, I think that's something we've seen in pretty much every game that he started. Obviously, it's different when you come off the bench. And um, when I think Thomas Partey was injured uh, in February, so Jorginho started against Manchester City and Aston Villa a couple of games in a row. Even in those games, he looked uh, confident and he, he was able to bring a sense of clarity, I felt, um, in both games when Arsenal had some tough times. Um, so the City game, he was the one who was really, really positive um, on the yeah. ball, even though, obviously, in the second half, City just ran away with it. And then Aston Villa scored in 10 minutes, and he's the one. I remember it because the press box was almost in line with his position in the first half at Villa Park. But again, very vocal. And what I can remember was him telling Ben White to just get forward. And then he was the one who would just manage that area of the pitch. And I thought, um, obviously, we knew Partey would kind of replace him once he was back fit. But he was quite unlucky, I thought, Jorginho, not to be brought in earlier and I think as Amy said that's probably the one area we've maybe got to see Mikel Arteta take another stride in in terms of how he responds to to things in in game game, management yeah how proactive he is because um me and Amy were sat together at the Chelsea game and we were talking about how he's very Wenger-like in 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 those terms and how loyal he is to to what has got him to a certain point. But I think you can see, I guess, there are times where it seems clear to everyone else, but the person in that moment. And I guess um, maybe if you kind of zoom out a little bit more, 
hopefully you can kind of take strides to to maybe improving in that respect because we've seen I think last year at Newcastle Arsenal was shown so many kind of aspects of their game that they had to improve on and they have done in the in the large part so hopefully um this could be another kind of area where you recognize what's what needs to be improved and then you build on that well i have to say sorry i mean i know i just want to just add to that and say i feel like Mikel Arteta maybe took a step forward himself yesterday in terms of timing of the subs and where he felt needed tightening up bringing on kieran tini on 61 minutes which is early but I, I think those things uh, are part of, you know, he's a new coach as well and he's learning. Amy, you wanted to say something. Well, just on that, it, you know, it, it, it's not just in-game management, it's it's selection management, yeah. you know. You're talking about yeah. Tierney and yes, I think everyone can agree that that was helpful. <laughs> and it is, you know, Zinchenko has been so positive um, to the season's narrative and the way things have gone that it's it's almost like a bit of an elephant in the room and no one wants to talk about it. But, you know, there are defensive mistakes that he makes that are not that infrequent. And it's fine if you're winning and, you you know, it doesn't matter. But I, I think it's something that needs thinking about because yeah. you can't just keep conceding possession in dangerous areas, you know, even if you're a fantastically gifted technician um, no. that adds to the kind of aesthetic quality going forward. Uh, some you know, and, and again, that's a question of do you do, do you pick horses for courses? Are there certain games when you go for a more uh, traditional type of de- a more defensive defender? Let's just say. But I think what was interesting as well is that how much that team has changed. You just talked about how much was learned between last season and this season. Before the game, I looked at the the team that played last year up at Newcastle, and there were nine players on the bench. You know, possible players to come on and change the game. And guess how many of those nine were involved yesterday or had any chance of being involved? I mean, not many. Two? Yeah. One was the answer. Eight out of the nine subs, round about a year ago, are no longer at the club. You know, that's how much things have changed quickly. Of the starting 11, five were not not players who had any chance of playing yesterday, either because they're gone or they're injured, like Elneny, for example. So, you know, there has been a quite seismic change in personnel as well as in attitude and, and talent, really, um, which I think is important to note. And that, I think, allowed Arsenal to play their game at Newcastle, to withstand, you know, a pretty ferocious opening and then be able to relax and think, okay, we can do this. Well, the goal, the goal we scored, the first goal, uh, Martin Erdegaard, that left foot oh, is a thing of beauty, isn't it? I mean, he just, it was such a relaxed swipe at the ball. And it was like, and it just skimmed along the ground. He's got 15 non penalty goals now. He's equal Kevin De Bruyne's midfield record. I mean, when he plays like that. <laughs> It's just, we want him to be like that all the time. And obviously it's not possible. He's only human. But what a footballer he is. And he just, he scared Newcastle, didn't he, with his passing. Even for that chance for Martinelli that Martinelli missed or that Pope saved. The little run inside to give Granite Xhaka an option. And suddenly Xhaka finds him. He's in space and he, one touch, and then he puts Martinelli in with a perfectly weighted pass. Um, We don't have anyone else in the team who can do what he does. No, I, I know everyone's going to be thinking about what he does on the ball, but the one moment that really kind of stood out to me in that kind of period of the game was um, Newcastle just had the ball kind of relaxed and he, out of nowhere, just jumps up and almost pushes. I can't remember who had the ball, but he basically has a maybe a five-yard run at the guy, barges into him doesn't even try and win the ball. And off the back of that, you see Jack is a bit more kind of pumped up and he, Jack wins the ball for the free kick that the goal comes from. So I think just having that almost, I don't care attitude um, really helped kind of change the game for Arsenal. And then after that is when you can um, really take control with your skill and 
what he can produce with the ball at his feet. And it was very similar to the Tottenham goal that he scored. Um, Another one which was kind of ridiculous in how precise um, the strike was. But uh, as we've seen throughout the season, I know people, people say he's not a vocal leader, but when you actually watch him, he does talk a lot and he actually does put what he says into action too, which is, is nice. So um, I, I would say he's not just a silent leader that everyone's kind of almost typecast him into being. Uh, he can talk and he can act. So um, it's quite nice that he was the man to kind of start um, what was a very good afternoon for Arsenal yesterday. In a way, that, that captaincy style, and we're seeing it unfold, you know, before our eyes because it's new to him, and I think he's grown in it as the season's gone on. Um, it reminds me a little bit more, rather than the kind of old-fashioned Tony Adams style of captain, when Patrick Vieira took over from him, people used to say the same thing. They used to say um, that he was more of a quiet leader because he didn't. Yeah. He was more laid back. He would go about things differently. But the two things that stand out that were, were what people what Patrick Vieira's teammates always said about him is that A, when he talks, you listen. And that B, he leads by example. He does something on the pitch and that makes you go, right, okay. I've read Patrick's the same ready, stuff. I better do it. So Martin's up for it, I better step up. Yeah. So there is that style of leadership, which might not be the kind of authentic stereotype of you know English captains from decades gone by uh, and the history books, but this kind of more modern style... Um, if he, you know, if if the, if he wants to come from the Patrick Vieira style of leadership, that's all right by me. Yeah, well, quite. Um, and I say I've read exactly the same things about Martin uh, Odegaard this morning. Uh, briefly about uh, two more. Jakub Kirill quietly went about his business yesterday. Amy, um, you know, I, I did wonder a little bit about the lack of balance, two foot left footed centre halves, but. I thought he was excellent, really, quietly excellent. It didn't seem to be any drop-off, which we have seen a little bit with Rob Holding in the last couple of weeks. And again, we have to say, no disrespect to Rob Holding, but Kivio looks like a class defender at the moment. I like his interceptions. He reads the game pretty well. Um, Is there a question as to whether we should have brought him in a little bit earlier? Maybe Southampton? Obviously, with hindsight, of course. But uh, only Mikel can question himself and find his own answers uh, and and whether he felt in hindsight that he was right to go with what he did or that he could have made a different decision because we don't know what they see in training. All we know is that is that Mikel sees these guys every single day yeah. and for whatever reason, he felt that Kivio was not ready to come in earlier. I don't think, I think it's nothing that when he arrived at the club, he didn't speak English at all. So kind of... Uh, his adaptation coming in in January to a team that has got 50 points and had the best half season that, you know, possibly they've ever had, not knowing any of the language, not, you know, culturally having to adapt to a new place to live and a new environment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Young boy, I think it's understandable that it would take a little time rather than just being thrown in straight away. Now, he looks absolutely like he belongs now. Thank goodness. And uh, I think quite rightly, everyone's excited about what what more can come from him because if he can produce the quality of performances that he has in the last two games, two very different experiences, you know, a home game against a team in Chelsea that that Arsenal were able to enjoy themselves uh, and then an away game in a very, very intense, hostile environment where Arsenal went into the game as underdogs in many people's eyes with a lot of pressure on them and a bad experience the previous year. You know, if, if if Mikel is showing the video to the team as part of his preparation of last season from the Amazon doc, well, he's seeing that as well. And even if he wasn't part of it, you're thinking, he knows, he's not stupid. No, of course. And to come in and produce two excellent, efficient, trouble-free, um, quietly confident displays, theoretically on your wrong side... You know, that's uh, Excellent. that's really, really good news for Arsenal. I don't know. I'd love to know whether the reason he didn't come in earlier is linked up with the kind of two left-footed concept and whether 
the reluctance to do something that's very unusual was a was a big part of that decision. But you know, the, I think he and Gabriel have shown that they can play play next to each other quite comfortably. And the fact that Arsenal could play a higher line and there was enough pace, yeah. recovery uh, instincts within the back four was really made a big difference. Art, you go to the press conferences regularly. Maybe you could ask him that at some point, the left-footed <laughs> thing. I'd like to know what he thinks. Um, the other person I want to talk about uh, is Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, two huge saves, really. One from uh, Joe Willock in the first half and um, the, the one from Fabian Shah in the second. I mean, players have to stand up in these sort of games, these tough away games. And you know the goalkeeper's going to have to do a job. He's now got 10 away clean sheets. For the Arsenal. Next best is five. Villa, Brentford, Fulham, Man City, Man United and Newcastle. I mean, away from home. I was really glad for his clean sheet yesterday. Uh, and he was the one who brought up the um, the video being shown. Uh, the last thing that they saw before they left. He, in fact, has talked more about that, I think, than almost anyone, about the motivation they took from the pain of last season. And they've used it this season. I was so delighted for him to get that clean sheet yesterday. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat because you've seen Arsenal, even when they've won recently, it's just really silly goals that they've given away. Um, and... Chelsea scored. Chelsea never <laughs> scored before they played us. They haven't even got forward. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, for I, goodness sake. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's been exceptional, really, for the past month, maybe five weeks if you push back to the Liverpool game um, aside from that mistake against Southampton so I think it's just what he deserves really um, and I think going into that kind of energetic cauldron when you think back to last year he was the one who was actually trying to manage the game a little bit but there just weren't the pieces there for it to all come together and I think you saw again yesterday it was not just what he did with his hands it's how he used his head and his feet as well really kind of set Arsenal apart because early on he's going long and then Newcastle think they've kind of adjusted to that and then he starts going short. So I thought he played really well in all aspects of the game um, and he's still only 24 years old. It's ridiculous. I mean, we're watching a lot of these guys grow and seeing how he's developing at the minute is is really uh, is really pleasant to to see. He didn't just play well; he shit housed well as well. So there is that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if we're talking saves, uh, you know, vital saves in the game, and you know, God only knows what's going to happen for the rest of the season. But the longer things go on, the more I keep feeling this is a season of moments. You know that we will remember, and. Um, I thought that the, the granite shaka oh, tackle oh. on Joe Willock was, you know, that that was a, that was the, the equivalent save. of Aaron Ramsdale's save from Shah. It was yeah. as vital in terms of stopping an almost certain goal, and um, just watching the, you know, the ground that he made up, uh, and the the, uh, you know, the perfection in the challenge because it needed to be perfect. Uh, it it was phenomenal. It reminded me of um, in the World Cup semi final in in Brazil in 2016. Holland played against Argentina, and in I think it might have even been the last minute of stoppage time. Aaron Robin was about to win the game for Holland, and Mascherano arrived absolutely out of nowhere, and he made up ground that didn't seem humanly possible to make this phenomenal tackle and afterwards said that he actually ripped a part of his anatomy. That's right, that, he did. He, you know, may, uh, was obviously <laughs> extremely painful in doing so. <laughs> Me and Art are both cringing at this yeah, point. Yeah, but yeah, yes. yeah. But it, it, <laughs> I think... When Jacka did that, it reminded me of that, like an almost uh, such an implausible, perfect tackle in that you just don't think someone can physically be capable of that. And what makes them physically capable of that is what's going on in their mind and in their heart and in their soul, because they're just so determined to you know, to make sure they do their job and stop a goal. Um, and that was one nil at the time. So, you know, However the season ends Big up, moment. 
I think that's another moment to file away with the Reese Nelson goal against Bournemouth and the Ramsdale save against Liverpool and you know some of these you know individual game changing moments of, of of individual quality that has been a kind of hallmark of this team. Um, so they're a great team collectively, but I think they're also capable of greatness individually and standing up and and, have, and creating these moments that change games. And the fact that there's a squad full of them, or certainly a team full of them, is uh, is really special. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And he can he can stay down as long as he wants, as often as he wants. Thank you very much, Granite. Go on, Amy. <laughs> the, the other the other thing that I think is significant, again, however the season ends, is just trying to look at this Newcastle result from a slightly broader perspective, which is. There have been quite a few ghosts laid to rest this season away from home. You know, Palace, the, the, Tottenham, Brentford. This feeling of, of Arsenal, you know, for quite a number of years being weak away from home and vulnerable and not being able to kind of make a game competitive and show up. You know, they've gone to a lot of places where people thought that they might come and stuck because historically they tend to. And they have proved that they're ready to fight in whichever way is necessary to give themselves a foothold in the game to do their stuff and come home with the points. And that is so significant a step for wherever this team is going, you know, taking it into next season and beyond. Whatever happens, you know, to to finish second and be in the Champions League, this has been a, a heck of a ride. And... There's so many positive parts of the evolution of the team. And these kind of what I, you know, yesterday was an F off win, as I like to call it. It was. It was textbook. You go away from home, people are expecting you to get turned over. It's a big opponent that fancy themselves. And uh, hello, thanks very much. Three points later. Cheerio. Oh, anything to add? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not really. I think Amy's no. summed it up quite well. <laughs> I think as as she often does. This is Handbrake Off, uh, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We better beat uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence and Art De Roche on the Athletics Arsenal podcast. Handbrake off. Art, you wrote a piece on the site about the pathway for the youth. Um, things have changed a little bit, basically, because of where we are now. Um, a couple of seasons ago, or even this season, you know, we had the Europa League. You can, you know, in the group stages, you can blood some of the young players. We're going in the Champions League next year. It's a slightly different thing. How, it, it, has it made it harder for the uh, young players to come through? It's an interesting topic because I, I'm still, I, I know the piece is out there, but I'm still um, kind of getting my head around it all because there are so many different ways you can look at it. I mean, 
Arsenal haven't been in the Champions League for what six, seven years. So the one thing there are these words that sometimes stick out from Mikel Arteta when he speaks. And after that Champions League was kind of confirmed, the word was levels. He kept saying levels and how Arsenal had to really nail their recruitment in the summer, which does kind of, I guess, raise some concerns in terms of what can happen in terms of a pathway. But I think the main thing you have to find is balance. And also what you have to remember with when you're talking about pathways and young players, it's that it's actually someone's life. So it's not as simple as saying, oh, player A should get opportunity A because they are this person. Um, But they're actually going to have a decision to make in terms of how much football they're going to be playing and what that means for them in their career. So um, I think it'll be an interesting kind of development to to watch over the next few years because I don't think it's going to be a um, a topic that just kind of uh, gets a resolution in one kind of seasonal window. Um, something that I think will probably take a few years to kind of see the proper results of. Well, Amy, Amy, it's an ongoing process, isn't it, this really, this squad development and some players will make it and some players don't. That's always been the way it is. But in terms of being an Arsenal fan, I remember we've talked about this on the pod when Charlie Patino came on against Sunderland in the League Cup, how excited people were to see him. And now they're saying that there's a possibility they might sell him in the summer because they can't see a pathway into the team. It's it's upsetting, but it also means that we are, as Mikel Arteta said, it's different levels now we're talking about. Yeah, but you also have to respect that in every contractual decision, there are two parties, at least, that are involved in the conversation. And Arsenal might well want to keep Patino and their idea of a pathway for him just might not be the same as Patino's idea. You know, if you, if you look at probably the, the kind of most fascinating example in English football recently about a really good local player in the pathway is Phil Foden. And Phil Foden, who I think everyone would agree is good enough to probably walk into any Premier League team, had quite a few seasons where you thought, blimey, why is he there? He's not playing. He didn't go on loan. He didn't um, didn't get that much game time for, you know, it was almost like keeping him just, just, just back. Um, and, I, 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 you know, even now, he still possibly isn't playing quite as much as he could. He, you could be sure that he would be starting every game almost, well, pretty much anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and... It, these kind of situations need handling, need understanding. They need a reciprocal kind of respect. In other words, the club to the player and the player to the club has to share a, a vision of, of their development. It needs patience, which is a pretty difficult commodity to have, especially if you're a young player. I mean, in Saka's case, for example, uh you know, coming in, you look at Saka and Smith Rowe, and that's another kind of interesting example of them both coming in at the same time with the same kind of opportunity. And a couple of years down the line, I think I read a stat that said uh, Saka has played a part in the last 77 Premier League games consecutively, going back wow. almost two years, where if he's not started, he's been on the bench and come on, um, which is fairly extraordinary how dependent Arsenal are on him and how much they, you know, how highly he's regarded. And Emil's struggling to get game time, and which is a slightly different story, I know, but just goes to show how complicated and how fine these lines are. Yeah. Are you, pre- you know, prepared to hang on and wait for your time? Uh, do you, does your your pathway kind of change course? Maybe you do, you don't want to, or you can't handle it, or you're looking at something else and thinking the grass is greener. It's difficult. So there's the there's the will of the player, there's the influence of the agent, and there's the desire of the club to want to present a pathway that that is really credible and believable to that player, whether that comes by loans or by opportunities or by whatever. And there's also the other, other question of if, going back to Art's point about levels, if some of the players that Arsenal have identified to try and improve the team next year, there's funds that need to be raised. Do you raise them by selling some of your assets? 
And this is the first time probably in years that Arsenal have got quite a lot of assets that they can cash in on, should they wish to. So all of that goes into the pot and you're not always going to get the outcome you want. I mean, the one, the, the biggest one for me that keeps going round and round in my head is Saliba in the sense that what do Arsenal do if he doesn't want to sign? Do you keep him without signing because he's so bloody good? Or do you think we've just got to generate as much cash as we can when we when we can and reinvest it into someone who is going to be here for a longer period of time? That's going to be a heck of a decision as part of any uh, summer movement. And, uh, it, it, you know, but there is, there's a big price on some of these players and... I think that there's lessons of letting people run down their contracts and go for free yeah. need to be kind of adhered to in any kind of future plans. I mean, Art, you mentioned in this piece uh, what um, Per Mertesacker said uh, about in the academy. He said, if you look at £20 million plus sales, you have to look at Alex Iwobi, Joe Willock, Emiliano Martinez, and these are the players that probably funded the investment that we made. I mean, I, I've, we've got mates who were gutted about Joe Willett leaving, and he's obviously a high-class player, and he's playing very well, including you, Art, right? <laughs> and he's playing very, very well for Newcastle. But it possibly wouldn't have got into our team. And, and you have to sell some players to buy in some others. You don't, otherwise you're Chelsea, aren't you? <laughs> well, yeah, but also the person who came in because of the sale of Willett was Odegaard. Yeah. So, and we've just spent 10 yes, minutes eulogising about it. would be lovely him. to have Willock as well. But yeah. I think the chances of having both at the same time, at the time of those deals, was pretty non-existent. So it was a choice. And what about up front, Art? Um, Flo Balogun or Eddie Nketiah? Would we, I mean, we'd like to keep both or how does it well, work? I mean, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times, but it it really just comes down to what the player wants, really. Because if you look at, Eddie and Ketty's case, that deal probably took a year, was probably a year in the making. Going back to I guess summer 2021, when the contract was first kind of offered, and it it wasn't signed until uh, the end of the season in 2022. And I think in Enketi, you see someone who has almost ultra self belief. Um, and has done throughout his career because he knew he wasn't going to be Arsenal's first choice striker going into the season, but he still backed himself and he got an opportunity off, not off the back of that, but the main thing I think would have been in the thinking was not every single player is going to be available or at their best for every game of the season. So if you bide your time, you're going to get a chance. And yeah, um, when Eddie's chance came this season, he took it like he did last season. So I think it also comes into, I guess, that that place of patience and, I guess, do you believe, one, that that chance is going to fall your way at whichever point and are you ready to take it? I think Enketia, and I know Alex Awobi's spoken about this um, in terms of how he was uh, when he first came up to training, but he always seemed ready that something was going to drop his way. Yeah. So with with Eddie and Ketty's case, you see it's a very individual um, process for every single player. So you can't really say one size fits all, especially when it comes to no. their careers. So um, with Balogun, I, I honestly don't know how that's going to pan out. Um, but I think, as Amy mentioned with, say, the Willock, uh, the guard, sliding doors moment, it, it will depend on what fits best for all parties. And I guess we don't know what that will be until the summer, really, especially um, yeah. with how uh, Balogun's season's gone and how Arsenal seasons have gone. They're both on a really nice trajectory. So you just have yeah. to kind of wait back and see. Well, Lacazette got four yesterday. Maybe we could bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> no, that didn't get a laugh from Amy at all. Okay, fair enough. Some of these are jokes, by the way. I just want to point that out. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for giving me, to throw me a bone here once in a while. Um, the point is, Amy, and by the way, if you want to hear more about uh, this and a, a deeper discussion about this as well, I know Adrian talked about this on the, uh, the Athletic Football Podcast. They talked about what the next phase is for Arsenal. The point is, Amy... 
It's great to be having this discussion. I remember doing this podcast the end of last year after losing against Spurs and losing against Newcastle and how gutted we all were. And now we're having this this discussion going, how are we going to integrate our youth into the Champions League next season? I mean, this is, it's such a step forward, isn't it? This whole season has been uh, uh, a quantum leap, really, in every in every conceivable way. So uh yes. yeah, long 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 may Arsenal leap. Yeah. Well far <laughs> may Arsenal leap. I don't know, far. is it long, high jump, long jump? Long as well as long jump, isn't it? It's not far yeah. jump. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway Aston for not laughing at my joke. Anyway, let's have laughing at these we take, you know when you it. laugh at your own jokes. <laughs> I, I always laugh at my own jokes. Yeah, Somebody, yeah. a comic actually said to me, called Mike Wilmot, a very funny comic, said, think about you, Stoney, no one enjoys your act as much as you. <laughs> <laughs> that is very, a good joke. <laughs> very funny. Let's, all right, you like that one, dear. Okay, uh, let's have a song. Amy, do you have a song yep. for us? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure we talked enough about, uh, maybe we should just introduce some long pauses into the editing of this podcast, um, just to reflect on how funny that was that Newcastle <laughs> didn't like a taste of their own medicine. Oh, um, I mean, oh, so really, beautiful. it just adds to the uh, to the joy. In fact, I think there'd probably be, it, it would have been, I would have been quite nice to have done a joint Arsenal-Newcastle podcast this week, just because I think if you listen to one <laughs> after the other, I'm sure that they've got massively <laughs> different takes on the, on the game. Imagine. One would um, imagine. But yeah, yeah oh, I, did, I did see a few... Um, uh, a few videos on Twitter of people on the train home. It looked an absolute blast of an away day, I must say. So well done all the gooners that went up there and yeah. uh, made a fantastic noise and enjoyed it to the full. But isn't it great to be able to go away from home and, you know, and feel that that Arsenal, are, uh, you know, have got a chance in, in every game. And that is a new feeling, you know, that sort of slight pit of the stomach, kind of butterfly nervousness that, you know, we had quite often about away matches, thinking that it was probably likely to go wrong. It's just great to be able to go and think, well, we don't know how it's going to go, but we'll give it a good, we'll give it a good effort um, more often than not. Yeah, the, the, I think that the Newcastle's laments about uh, uh, about time-wasting were worthy of, uh, of a song. Uh, so I have gone for Culture Club and Time. <laughs> Clock of the heart. <laughs> Have that, mate. Eddie, yeah. how are you listening? Probably not, to be honest with you. After what happened at the Emirates for us to do it the way we did it, just I agree. An absolute thing of beauty. Not only do we not care, we're glad it happened that way, Eddie. Uh, anything, for, what, what do you think, Art, Song? Uh, I felt yesterday was probably the most team-oriented performance Arsenal provided of the season. I thought you could have had five man of the matches. So um, for me, I'm going to go with my band by D12, um, hopefully. It fits, but I'm not sure if it will. Who were your five men of the match contenders? So the ones that spring to mind are Jorginho, Aaron Ramsdale, uh, Martin Odegaard, Kivior, and Xhaka for the tackle. Oh, it that, was Xhaka. It was Xhaka. It was Xhaka. That's yeah, it. Yeah, granite was great. Way, how how yeah. transparent was it that they were trying to get him sent off? I mean, I, we we know that this is a you know an obvious tactic that teams would 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 try, but it was you know they were it was not rotational fouling. It was rotational winding up of granite Xhaka. But with with him. This season, I felt he's just been almost a different level in terms of when it comes down to those moments. He knows how to kind of navigate them now. And it's really reckon- quite... I think he does. I I, yeah. I think he's very self-aware. Um, 
and I think you can see his brain. That's the best joke of the day, Art. That's, that's absolutely brilliant. I cannot wait to see him steaming in a couple think, of weeks. I, I think great. he is. I think you can see it. Chelsea away, you saw it as well. I think there's something. What I think what I'm saying. I think there was something a bit more playful about the way he was getting angry yesterday. I genuinely do, and I and I enjoyed it. I also, by the way, Gabriel Jesus winding up oh, uh, Kieran Trippier. Oh, Trippier. Them, them, them two went at it, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant, and uh, I, I loved him for that. Um, I'm going for um, something inside so strong, Labby Sifri's song, because I thought. They stood up yesterday, and I, I and I think there are always markers in developments of teams. Man City at home at the Christmas game when we lost two one, I think that was a marker. Um, I think going away to Palace on the opening day and winning the way we did that was a marker. I think we've had a few, and I think this was another one to go to a club like Newcastle. And by the way, they've won their last seven or eight games, and we look so strong yesterday and, and so up for the fight and it, and I was after the first 10 minutes I thought my god we've turned up haven't we whatever happens here we're going to be giving them a game and I was proud of them and I am proud of them as I have been all season so that's what I'm going for because there's something inside so strong so strong I know that I can make it no you're doing me wrong so wrong if all that my pride there's something inside so strong and it was a different kind of strength wasn't it because you know physically Newcastle undeniably are stronger you know as Bigger. physical specimens so only three players under six foot yeah so so Arsenal required a different kind of strength a sort of strength of of, of character and desire and personality and a fearlessness really to, you know, to, to not be bullied, which Newcastle are quite good at doing because they are incredibly strong and they've got that, they don't mind throwing their weight Tough around. Time. So uh, it was really impressive on that front. It was. And you should show them a video every week <laughs> before they leave the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's it for uh, Handbreak Off. Thanks to Amy, thanks to Art, and thanks to Jay, uh, who produced this week. And uh, thanks to you for listening. Enjoy your week, Gooners. I'm sure you will. I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. See ya. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.